Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz Guns. Today, I have another special guest, um, a fellow neurodistinct actor from the Meisner Technique Studio, the same school I went to, Precious Prado. She, her. Welcome, Precious. Hi. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited. This is my first podcast. Nice. I hope thank I you. Do a good job. Yeah, thank you for coming on. You're doing great so far. Um, and you know, I mean, it's. I didn't really. This is my. You know, I didn't have any experience before this podcast, and it all just kind of happened. You know, so, like the Meisner technique. You know, we go from the gut, and it where it goes, where it goes. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have a few questions for Precious today. Um, so Precious, um, I know you were diagnosed just recently and just like a a few years ago, but you think like even before that, when did you realize that you were, or maybe start suspecting that you were different, uh, or that you were neurodistinct and, um, how did it affect you early on? Yeah, I honestly, I'm not completely sure if I ever realized that I had something. And but the only thing maybe that I could think of, like that, put the idea in my head that I could have ADHD is that I remember a friend made a comment to me once, mm-hmm. that like, "Oh, I definitely have." like ADHD or something when I was in high school but it was so passing that I didn't really think much of it and then in college I was really struggling with school and I thought maybe ADHD but I wasn't really sure um I just no I couldn't understand why I was struggling so much I because honestly like I did good throughout school leading up to college. I got all A's, you know, I was like an above 4.0 student. I was in all the honors and AP classes. And uh, when I was younger, I was in a gifted program. And so I just always identified myself as good at school or like a smart. Um, I don't know, I, I never really struggled that hard with school until I got to college. And the only reason why I was like barely passing was because some of my lower division classes were some of the AP classes that I was taking in high school. And so I already had some prior experience with that. I see. Um, but it wasn't until I was, but I was still actually really struggling and I couldn't fully understand like why. And I actually kept getting um, put into academic probation for my grades. And then it just led to a point where I was subject to dismissal, where I was like, about to get kicked out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I couldn't understand. To, to stay in my university, you have to go to the dean. And I was an engineering major. And... Um, so when I appeal, you appeal, you have to come up with, like, write out a letter of, like, why you think you're doing that, the reasons why you're not doing a good job, or 
or what steps you you could take to become better and I couldn't figure out what it was and the only reason I could come up with that it was a mental mm. health issue mm-hmm. um and so one of the steps I promised I would take because you have to sign a contract is that like okay I'm gonna look into counseling yeah. and getting professional help and that's when I started looking into more into counseling and getting professional help and eventually I found my therapist and um I actually didn't bring up ADHD to her Mm -hmm. she after some sessions she brought up ADHD to me Mm. and she was the one who told me that she wanted to diagnose me and that she said that she actually noticed it had an inkling right away from their first meeting and um I thought I would like, barely pass the criteria, but she told me I like pass with flying colors or whatever, and I was like, you know, I was definitely <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, and that was like a like a big moment for me to realize, like, oh, like I'm not just like barely this. Like I'm not. Actually, I really have this. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Um, it was only I didn't fully realize it. Um. But because of my struggle in college, you know, I was mm-hmm. more forced to look into why. Um, and that's how I got diagnosed. Did it make you think, like, you know, when you got diagnosed and you realized, like, oh, wow, so I actually do have ADHD, did it make you think of, like, back to, like, your childhood and, like, certain moments? Because, like, I've experienced that, like, you know, when I think now about being autistic, I look back to, like, way before I was diagnosed and I start thinking of things and I'm like oh wow this makes so much sense now like this is why I struggled with that this is why I was good at that you know this is like why I was like this like so many different things yeah I'm like nodding my head so hard like so many things make sense I think I realized that you know after I got diagnosed like oh like why it's like you know like learning from my therapist, like, why is it like this, that, like, I'm only getting diagnosed this late in my life, I'm like, how have I not, like, gotten diagnosed sooner, or, like, recognized these things sooner, and I think part of it, I think first part of it is, like, this was my normal, like, I I only know my thought process, like, I Mm -hmm. only know my reality, and I didn't know about, like, oh, this isn't, you know, the neurotypical way, and you know, when I look back in my childhood, like, and even, like, throughout high school, like, you know, growing up, like, I never actually really paid attention in class, and the only, and, you know, something I learned is, like, when you're, like, just have, like, natural talent, I guess, in terms of, like, in, like, certain subjects, you know, like, I was really good at math, you know, I, I just, I always did good in school and it was always a natural thing for me to pick up on that I just, me doing good in school 
and you know we quote unquote naturally like have talent for certain subjects you know i was able to go under the radar mm-hmm. of like not really struggling yeah. in school yeah and if you're just like a smart obedient quiet girl you're not gonna get that diagnosis like you know the stereotypical hyperactive boy true i think and that yeah so and so when i think about like certain experiences um especially when i was younger like you know going we talked about earlier how um i look at people in the face or like yeah. their mouths to pay attention to what they're saying i have this very specific memory when I was in first grade, my first grade teacher was like looking me dead in the eye, telling me to look at me, like telling me to look at her and say like, hey, like, do you understand what I'm saying? And like, she kept repeating what she was saying. And I kept saying, yeah, yeah. And like, this just nodding my head. But like, I remember like, I did not understand anything she ever said. And when I think about all the times I was in class, and even in like high school, like I never actually under, I never actually auditorily like really process what my teachers were saying like I just copied down all the notes that were like that they would write on the board and you know I would just learn it at home or like do my homework and and I would never study for any tests I would and I would pass just because like I learned it on my own and I like did my own homework and I just I, I realized like oh, I, like, cope in this way of, like, teaching myself or, you know, just looking at notes or, like, lo- reading my textbook and doing my homework. And I never ha- really, like, developed, like, studying skills or, you know, time management skills or anything like that. You know, when you go into college where it's so much more on, y- on you. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like that, like, I just realized, like, oh, like, I didn't actually ever really pay attention in class. And, um, and even, like, like other things, like my sleep schedule, like, I always struggled with sleep ever since I was a kid. And I realized it was because of hyperactivity, um, just internal yeah. hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was a big reason why like, I never fall asleep when I was younger, even when I was so tired. Like, and this was like a constant issue for me throughout elementary school, middle school, like high school. I would, I, even if I'm tired and I like try not to nap during the day, like I'll have like so many thoughts or just be restless yeah. like, at night. And I wouldn't, I would struggle so hard falling asleep. I think that shows like just how much um how much more there is to ADHD than like just um struggling in school cuz like you said like you don't necessarily have to be the stereotypical like young boy that struggles in school like you know just cuz and the struggle doesn't always mean like oh you know, it, it shouldn't always just be measured by, like, what grades you're getting because, like, you can still be getting good grades but still be struggling um, or at least be struggling to, to do things in, in the way that um, you're expected to do them. 
and uh, I could relate a lot to what you were saying about like figuring stuff out on your own and creating your own strategies because I, I feel like that's also something that a lot of neurodistinct people do is like creating our own strategies and figuring out like what works best for us since the molds that are presented to us don't usually work um and um anyways yeah it's just like it would all start if there were more and this is what i really love about like having my podcast and bringing on guests like you is that i can show the world that it's like you know there are so many different ways that um, ADHD and autism and neurodistinctness can present in different individuals from different genders and backgrounds and, and different personalities. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I think that really, like, even through my, like, unpacking process and I'm like going through my diagnosis and like learning more about ADHD it's like realizing like oh okay like there are other you know just shades and mm -hmm. it shows up differently for like yeah. people mm -hmm. and um yeah like I'm I feel like I understand myself so much more because of my diagnosis and you know just learning more about how I was growing up and like where I like also like just navigating life now I feel so much more confident yeah. in who I am because mm -hmm. I think before I masked so hard and I didn't realize, and when I was, you know, when I received my diagnosis, it was really life-changing, like, existential, because it was, like, like, my whole life, before that was a lie. The light bulb goes and, Yeah, and mm -hmm. especially when I started, I took medication for a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. And that just, like, opened this, like, gate of like I felt like I was starting to I was able to process my emotions more I was able to focus and understand like why I am and like why I feel like I felt like my brain like kick-started and I just started like unpacking like a lot of things that like I felt I couldn't unpack when I was undiagnosed and like un like I just didn't have the skills yeah. and I think it's part a big part of it is because I also was diagnosed with depression mm. and and that, and it was rooted in my ADHD. And yeah. So it's like once I started treating my ADHD, I was able to like get out of that fog and understand more like why I'm like stuck in this pattern and like why I just unhappy. And I felt like I couldn't process that because of my ADHD and because of added depression. And so when I was medicated, I was like, oh, like there was this like something like my brain started working and I was able to like emotionally process and like identify my feelings and like understand like let's like understand my life more of like oh what is going on that's like not working I don't know it was like so crazy and then to realize like oh like I act this way because I, that's just what I've been doing my entire life and it's like even just like unpacking like 
I think like the ableism that was yeah. inside of me. Internalized because, ableism too. Yeah, yeah because mm-hmm. I remember I felt so much shame when I had to start asking for disability accommodations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and like just like feeling like other that like, oh like yeah. everyone can take this exam and like two I like or, or like sometimes the professors will feel bad for me or will just like be accommodating I, would, I wouldn't say I don't know if they say feel bad I shouldn't speak for them but like sometimes they'll give me as long as I need and it'll just like make me feel so ashamed that like I just need so much time to get through like an exam or sometimes like I just like like I, I struggled so hard turning in assignments on time and like I don't know it was just like I just felt like this shame that like wow like people can just do things and I can't just like do things or like when like sitting in class and you know I remember the very first time I was medicated in in lecture and I was like learning in real time and I was understanding and processing what my professor was saying in real time and I did like take notes at the same time and I could like receive text messages and like consciously like not even consciously like it was just like an instinctive like decision to like not pick up my phone right away I was just so like having that level of focus and attention and like being like wow I can take notes and hear my professor and and like look up at like the slides and like do all of these things that like I can't do and it's like wow all of my whole life I didn't like taking notes or like I didn't like bringing things to class sometimes because like I just wanted to like sit and like focus all of my attention on trying to like hear my professor or like hear and understand what they're saying. And um, I think that's probably the reason why I probably didn't really like go to lecture because I feel like I didn't do anything for me. Um, but so that was like a whole tangent. No, no, that was great. That. And I was going to say that I can... I can really relate to, you know, how I used to feel. And I think this is why, you know, this is just one part of why it's so important for us to be able to get these diagnoses. And it's such a shame that so many people are still underdiagnosed is that it really does help us understand each other, understand ourselves better and not feel so ashamed of asking for accommodations because I used to feel the same kind of shame and guilt around, you know, not, you know, like having to ask for for extra time for tests and stuff, not being able to to do it in the same time as everyone else. Um, And, you know, because, you know, I would get misdiagnosed and mislabeled. uh, And that's like, you know, another huge thing is it's like I think a lot of people don't understand like these labels like ADHD and executive dysfunction and and all hyper focus and all that they're really important for us because if we don't have those then we get called lazy we get called oversensitive you know we, we got we get called stuff that makes us feel bad about ourselves and then we feel ashamed and then but when we know like oh no I have sensory processing differences I have executive dysfunction it's like it empowers us at least for me like it was very empowering 
for me to be able to advocate for myself and to be stern and to be like, I need this accommodation because of this. And, you know, if you are not providing this, you are denying me an accommodation. And if I put it like that, it just, you know, changes the whole, um, the whole situation, I feel. And it's like, not that everyone will understand because there'll still be people that are just going to be ableist. But I think me changing my perspective on it and becoming more confident advocating for myself with time still depending on the environment that I'm in and you know it's still not something that's just like I flip a light switch like Mm -hmm. you know when we're unmasking to like how unmasking is also about like unveiling because we're discovering our true self behind the mask yes yeah yes um you said so many things that were like on my nose like I know that for me that's definitely one of the most just um like one of the most gratifying and just something I'm just so thankful for from this experience of like knowing myself more and I think the word that you use was feeling empowered like definitely after I've like unpacked so much more about you know like what I think about myself and why I think about myself and just like that ableism and um just just going through that grieving process I feel like I've come out so much more aware of who I am and what I need and understand like that is more than okay and um just yeah I just feel so empowered and that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned especially when I was going through you know college and asking for accommodations like realizing that I am my best advocate and I feel like it was so hard at first but now it's become so much more easier for me to speak up for myself and set, set my boundaries or you know just understand what I need yeah um for sure. About understanding, I think, is, like, what really sticks out to me, too, because, um, like, that's really what it was for me. Like, when I was, I just catch myself thinking, you know, like, gosh, like, if I knew all this stuff when I was, even before uh, college and high school, like, when I was in grade school, like, I would, it would just be so different because I didn't understand I didn't understand like why I was different and what I needed and like how my brain worked. So like, because I didn't understand myself, that's then that's why it was so hard for others to understand me too, because I couldn't even explain to them. And now I can yeah. explain. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like part of it is because you don't have your language for it. You know, especially when, like, this is all we've known Mm -hmm. and we've never been diagnosed. And, you know, it's like what I mentioned earlier, like, realizing that this was just, like, my entire reality. I thought this was how everyone... Yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) There are some things that I just realized, oh, so wait, not everyone does that. (laughs) Yeah. I just assumed, I would just assume certain things that everyone did it, but, um, no. Yeah, it's, it's 
it's interesting um but then it's cool because i'm like oh wow so that was another difference and that was that and that was that um yeah um i feel like you mentioned earlier something about like oh not everyone's going to um understand mm -hmm. you and that's actually something that i wrote also in my notes was like oh yeah like realizing that like like something that I have to accept that like not everyone's going to understand me, um, and yeah, I just wanted to touch on that. Like I feel like that's also such a big part of yeah. just like the unmasking process or just even the diagnosis process or like learning more about yourself, and um, that like there are people in my life that are no longer my life mm -hmm. because they knew me, you know an older version of me where yeah. like now I feel like I'm so much more aligned with mm -hmm. you know, you my really true are. authentic self. Yeah. And um and like who I am like without that mask. Without the mask. And yeah, it's yeah. Just, like a crazy journey. You're like, wow, like yeah, it's like, crazy to think of like like how my childhood would have been different. Like or just like growing up would be different i don't like my other experiences would have been different if i was like not like trying to conform and trying to i don't know like just fit in or like get through the day or like um you know just i was just trying to focus on like getting them grades or like like pleasing my parents or like going to college and then I realized you know in college I was like oh, what, what am I doing like what am I actually doing in my life like like what do I actually want to do yeah I think it's I mean I can relate to that like it happening I mean I think even for non even for neurotypicals I know that happens a lot with them like not even figuring out what they want to do until later but I think particularly for neurodivergent people and not just in terms of our careers but in terms you know of our mm -hmm. personalities our and our yeah. lives yeah um and it's like and then it is like you said it really is i mean thankfully for me and i'm sure for you too there are a lot of people probably you know your closest friends and family like my case that will generally understand and, and accept and accommodate um but then there are people that i for me i find that it's it's mostly the people that i don't interact with as much or that don't really um like like people that i'll see maybe once a year or maybe every like maybe even twice a year or something but because they're not with me on the day-to-day -day basis they they only see like I, they've probably only seen me masking so then if i start unmasking with them like with my family like close family it's different because it's like even like because like they probably have seen the mask come off many times at home because like naturally it, a lot of times like throughout my life i guess it would kind of come off at home so then they kind of know like oh okay that makes sense um, but I feel like it's the hardest with people that aren't necessarily strangers, but that you're just not close with them. So it could even be extended family. Um, 
Because it's, mm-hmm. like, it's really hard because, like, they just think of it as you being someone else, but you have to, it's, like, it's just a struggle, like, getting them to understand that, no, like, this is actually, you were, you were pretending to be someone else before, or you were kind of, um, not necessarily pretending, but, um. I feel, for me, it was just, like, a lack of identity. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. I just didn't know who I was. Yeah. I really thought I was just going through the motions for years, for years. And I think part of that is, like, depression. And, but, like, not understanding why. I think yeah. that was one of the reasons why I was so confused when I was um, in college. And I was you know, starting to seek professional help. I was, I didn't understand why I was unhappy because I felt like I had no reason to be depressed. Yeah, I, I can. That, you know, like, oh, like, I felt like I was raised, like, with, like, good parents. I felt like, you know, I'm, like, you know, was raised, like, in a safe home. And, like, I felt like, you know, I had good friends and I felt like I was like you know I had a overall good sense of self-esteem I guess like I felt like I was smart or I never felt like awful about myself but it was just this undeniable just sorrow that like Mm -hmm. I felt and I, I didn't understand where or why it was coming from and once I started getting diagnosed with ADHD and depression and like we were now working on my ADHD I realized like oh like honestly it's because I haven't really been doing things that I am passionate about or like pursuing things pursuing things that I love or like just doing things that I want to do like I and I didn't even really knew what that was because I was functioning for so long just trying to get good grades or just trying to graduate and I didn't really understand like oh who am I without all of this you know academics you know like what am I actually interested in and and like you know I came to a point where it's like I, I just didn't care about that I was so numb and I didn't have any preference for preferences for anything and I just had no appetite for life and and the part of it, I think, was just lack of identity and lack of, yeah. like, no, knowing who I am, understanding, what I, like, what I'm interested in and, like, having the courage. And just, like, just, like, feeling confident in, like, doing things. Like, like I, that was around the time I started, like, trying to audition more for short films, trying to, like, try, and even though, like, I didn't want to, you know, I, like, forced myself to experience new things mm-hmm. just so I could feel something. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then, like, eventually I found my therapist. I, like, did some other, like, school counselors, but and then I found, like, my actual therapist who got me diagnosed, and then that really helped me, you know, identify, like, my feelings or, like, how I felt about things or my perspective on things and, like, and I felt it just validated a lot and realized, like, oh, like, I have a voice, like, I have my own interests, and that's, that's 
like it really led me to it's what led me to like take acting more seriously because I realized like oh this actually like gives me life like this is there's something that resonates with me and I'm like like, wow I feel like I've been numb and depressed for so long that I don't even know what like like and it was a foreign feeling but it was so like profound and like I, I I couldn't ignore it like I would derive like from like I, I went through college in UC Davis I would drive from Davis all the way to the Bay Area it'd be like two, two and a half hours or something for science with traffic and I would go <laughs> excuse me for like a five minute audition and I would drive back to my university to my apartment and stuff and it would be like I pretty much feel like what like four hours total for like a five minute audition and then I would, and it would feel worth it to me like I would feel so excited even and like, I didn't even care if I like, got like the, the job and it was just for like some like unpaid you know mm-hmm. it's not it's nothing exciting like there's nothing artistic about it or anything it was just you know low budget unpaid like someone putting it together like some passion project maybe and I don't know it's just like auditioning for it and it's not even like caring if I, I got it or not like that five minutes of audition for something yeah. it just did it was something worth to it. me and it yeah. lit something in me and I was like wow like I'm spending all of these hours like in class studying for this major and I'm like and I'm like dead inside, but then I do like five minutes of something that like in like society's like perspective is like mm. not that valuable, you know? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm still I was still functioning under the thought that like, oh, like an engineering degree is prestigious, you know, like um that like, oh, if I get an engineering degree, like I'll make good money. Like, I'll be professional, like, you know, my, my path is, like, set for me, like, um, but, you know, and then there's, like, oh, more, like, artistic and creative route, it's just, there's, it's not as, like, linear, um, but it, it, there's something that, like, something, like, excited me about it, and, you know, after I went through, like, my whole, like, journey, my diagnosis journey, yeah. and, like, I finished my senior year, I realized, like, oh, like, I feel like I need to take this more seriously. And I felt like following that instinct, I felt like I had such a stronger, just sense of self. Yeah. Um, that I, before, I don't think I, like, fully understood yeah no i that i that must have been wow i mean thanks for sharing that and that must have been like a huge rele- uh revelation i mean that's so cool how you like had that revelation that you were like you know just five minutes of doing this audition two hours away was bringing you more joy than you had with your daily routine at school um yeah you know like i can because i could relate i have you know a similar um 
kind of story where I was following another career path. I was uh, studying to be a meteorologist at the time, and even though I still really like weather, um, I just don't, you know, there was a point that I don't think I felt like I wanted to be a meteorologist anymore. And there was just like, it was also challenging because it's like in the traditional university system where the needs of neurodivergent people aren't really accommodated, especially if you don't know about your neurodivergence. But like, even if you do know, because like I did have a diagnosis at the time. And so I, you know, I was able to ask for like certain accommodations. Like I remember with like the SATs, I was able to ask for extra time and stuff, even though I didn't really feel comfortable. Like I felt ashamed, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. but it was like, because the university system, cause like a lot of people don't get it. Cause like they, like even family members, like they would think that I was just like being lazy or whatever, but it's not. Yeah. And I wish I knew that I had executive dysfunction at the time. And it's also the fact that, you know, a lot of the schools just don't really, they don't, they're not committed to um, properly accommodating. They make, it's like the mold has always, not only do I, and I was just thinking about this with Faina on the other episode I did a while ago, was like, how the not only are the these disability departments usually led by non-disabled folks and they don't usually mm. have which is fine it's like it would be it would just like if they at least had it would be nice if they at least had um if they consulted with um right. if they had members in that were disabled or if they consulted with disabled folks or even therapists um and but it's like it just kind of shows how it's just one branch of this whole world that is more focused on making disabled folks fit normative molds instead of changing those molds and adapting those molds um, on a larger scale. Because I think even I feel like even small accommodations that are made to make us more comfortable sometimes it's still very small scale. It's like, it doesn't work well in the larger system. And it would be less um, difficult to make it work if the system as a whole were more accommodating. Anyways, I'm going on a, a classic tangent where I go off the rails a little bit. But um, when I was getting to is my sister noticed, like, I think, she noticed, like, when I started getting into this um, limbo, like, I was, like, following this because it, it I was going down this path because it's yeah. what I had told everyone that I was going to do, and I had, you know, from an early age, and mm -hmm. I had said, no, and I'll do this, and I had my parents mm -hmm. were helping me, and, like, you know, with tutors and all this and that and all that kind of stuff, and I was like, wow, I mean, I don't want to let all these people down because, like, I'm here because of them, so if I, if I decide that I don't want to do this and I want to do that instead... Yeah. I, I don't want to let them down. And I think at that point, I didn't even know what I would do instead. But I was just like falling into that same kind of situation that you were describing where I was like, mm -hmm. in a limbo. I'm like, I'm doing this every day, but I don't like it. 
I'm like doing it just because I I mm-hmm. want I don't want to like seem ungrateful or be called lazy or whatever. And then so my sister noticed, and like we had this conversation. It was actually I. It started because um, I I asked her to you know take her out to have a conversation because I knew that she was going through some stuff. You know she was in high school at the time and like she was going through some struggles and there was also like the whole college pressure and stuff and people asking her where she was going to go. And uh, so I, my original intent was just to talk to her about that and kind of try to guide her a little bit about that. And, um, and then she, so we talked a little bit about that and then she ends up turning and asking me like, oh, do you still want to be a meteorologist? Is that still what you want to do? And then she asked me like, because I said, yeah, you know, because this is like what I was telling myself too. And then she said, is that the truth? Or is that what just what you're telling yourself? Um, And, you know, I think in the moment, I wasn't really ready to admit that that was what I was telling myself. But it got me thinking. I remember I thought, like I would be up at night thinking about that, about that question she asked mm-hmm. me for several weeks. I was like thinking a lot mm-hmm. about it and I was like, wow, you know, what isn't what I'm telling myself? Because I had noticed that I was kind of like falling into this funk where I was like, you know, it was becoming very um, just typical. And I was just following, I was just, it was not... I wasn't having any joy uh, from it. And then she she had actually made this, this linked into acting because she made this connection. She was like, maybe you should start taking acting classes again. Because she noticed, she remembered that I took acting classes when I was younger, uh, like back when I was living in Brazil, because um, mm-hmm. my mom's family is from there, so I was living there. Uh, I lived there like most of my teenage years. Um, it's, it's mm-hmm. a long story because technically I was born there, but then I came here as a baby and I stayed here till I was nine. And then mm-hmm. I, I spent most of my teenage years there before I came back. Um, so I was like, I did like this after school, um, I went to this theater school program after, after school, uh, cause I was at school cause in Brazil we would be. We would like start at 8 a.m. and we wouldn't get out until like 3 p.m. And we so and then I would have theater class from like 4 p.m. till 6 or 7. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And that, so this is kind of reminding me now, too, of like, oh, wow, like that's something I really enjoyed. Like and that's maybe this is even what my sister was thinking about is. I really enjoyed it when I was like, even though that was just like two or three hours out of my day compared to like the whole day at school, um, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that. And I, you know, we did, um, I think I did that for two years and I, we did a, both of those years we did a play at the end of the year. Um, and that was super fun. I got to be the protagonist in one of those, even though, I was kind of, it was like I was technically dead, but there were flashbacks to when I was alive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, she actually went to that same school for like a year as well after I did. But anyways, um, I think she noticed, she remembered and she had noticed like how much I liked acting stuff. And then 
Like, I had even done an improv class after I came here. And, um, she, like, noticed that I hadn't done it in a while and that I was kind of in this funk and maybe I was, like, telling myself that I should do this. And then she was like... And it's so interesting to think back at that now. I was like, wow, that's what really planted the seed, too. It was like her saying... Is that what you're telling yourself? You know, maybe you should take acting classes again. And then I did. I remember I went, I started, like, I decided to take improv classes again. And I think before I was, like, fully ready, I think when I was still coming to the realization, there was a little bit of a transition. Like, I didn't, I started taking, like, I went to Bats Improv and I took some improv classes and I really liked it. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I really do like acting, but then I was still a little bit like, okay, you know, I really like improv, but then like, it felt like it wasn't, it still wasn't enough, like for me to say, okay, so I don't want to be a meteorologist anymore, but I'm going to do improv, but it's like, I needed, you know, there was just, there needed to be more to it. Like I'm going to and then it was coincidentally right around the same time that I was introduced through a mutual friend. I was introduced to Jim. Um, and I had an interview with Jim and, you know, really resonated with like, you know, him and the, the, the training and the whole concept and everything of the Meisner technique and the Meisner Technique Studio, for our viewers, this is the school that we both went to. Um, I graduated two years ago, and Precious just graduated in December. Um, and anyways, yeah, I met this teacher and really resonated with everything. And so he uh, asked if I wanted to. I, I wasn't, like, ready to start yet at that time, but he asked if I wanted to audit a class or I think the first two classes because people are allowed to audit the first two classes um, mm -hmm. and I did and I really enjoyed it and I was like oh wow I think I, I could really do this and then then it was then that I was like okay now I, I can actually present a somewhat of a plan like I'm going to do this formal yeah. training and then do and then become an actor and it was like I can still use what I learned about improv to like for my acting because there's like there's situations where I'll use the improv but and it was still like um I mean everyone ultimately even the person that I was most worried about which was my mom um everyone did end up ultimately accepting it and encouraging me to go forward with it um but I remember I did feel a lot of shame because it is like we're conditioned from an early age uh, it, just by society like to to consider it 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 um, to only consider like certain paths and uh, careers and stuff and that if you you say you're considering a certain career, like, you are automatically get, like, people will mis, like, judge or interpret you. And then I think also, you know, like, another symptom of uh, neurodivergence uh, that a lot of ADHDers and autistic people have is 
rejection sensitive dysphoria um mm-hmm. and so it's also like being so sensitive to rejection because we're misunderstood and misinterpreted and misjudged yeah. so many times it's like i think that was kicking in too where it was like and it's like because the worst thing is it's like people like especially neurotypicals like i can tell when they're just faking it you know and especially now that i'm meisner trained i'm like and i think they don't even realize that i can tell but it's like i tell i'm all excited and i tell them oh yeah i'm an actor i'm gonna be an actor and just the way they respond sometimes it's like oh cool um oh (laughs) you know i was like yeah i know what you think (laughs) I know, honestly, that's so something I just, like was going through when I like first finished the training. Was, like, like you know, realizing like, oh, like, for the past ten years, I've been in this like book, of like very like sensitive, observant, mm-hmm. self-aware people, and then when I'm like stepping out and like interacting with people outside of that bubble, I'm like realizing like, oh, like, like. Like grasping the fact that like oh I can read people is so much better now and like I realize like like I don't even think people are picking up they don't on they don't know things. yeah <laughs> it feels they have no idea that I know exactly what they're thinking it's 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 funny but it's like yeah it's also like uh something I forgot to mention earlier like it was so powerful like when i joined the the meisner program especially when i started first session um i i could relate a lot to my classmates even the neurotypical ones because of that whole because i feel like being near i mean not just the fact that we were we all wanted to be actors but i think like for me, like being neurodivergent and probably for you too, like it, we're already kind of like um, outliers. And I think everyone in there was an outlier because they're dreamers. Um, So like, it's like, oh, wow, people that also think outside of the normative boxes that were given like that there was a connection i think right away because of that as well because like an extra layer of yeah it. like yeah no, i completely understand what you're saying i think just being a dreamer just being an artist like whether neurotypical or neurodivergent you know like yeah just being a, a dreamer artist, like you're already like a menace to society, like you're already a misfit. True. And you're, you, and especially if you're taking your dreams seriously mm-hmm. and pursuing that, like I feel like you're already like breaking a social norm because not many people do that. And so I feel like being a neurodivergent, like yeah like you're not going to be the quote-unquote norm and then pursuing your dream is like an added layer of that yeah and so yeah like even if someone is neurotypical but they're pursuing their dream it's like there is something non-conformist yes about them yes that that like a neurodivergent can relate to exactly i felt that um and i think in the beginning when i was feeling that i wasn't even relating it 
right away to neurodivergence um because like i knew i was well i don't think i really knew maybe i knew about the term neurodivergent but i certainly didn't understand neurodiversity autism and neurodiversity in general in the way that i do now and i think Mm. because i had been conditioned to think of it so negatively that's what i would do and i never made these these associations and stuff or maybe it just crossed my mind but like now that i'm thinking about all these things like it just makes so much sense like yeah like that's why there's like an extra layer yeah like to being different and everything like that's why actors are like so relatable to me yeah I love actors. I feel like The Flash has, like, really helped me just feel so much more empowered, I think, and, like, embrace myself more. I think I think just the fact that, like, I was just coming out of college, like, from engineering, and I just also recently diagnosed with ADHD, I think coming into the class really, like, helped me find like-minded people, and just felt, like, I don't know, I just remember, like, first year of training, just being so, like, well, like, I'm in this room with all these people that I feel like it's, like, safe to be myself. Because I just, I've never been in, like, never really felt safe to say, like, oh, I want to become an actor. And now I'm, like, in this, like, class where, like, ever like, everyone in the class is, like, curious yeah. about doing this. So it's like, oh, like, this isn't something that I need to feel like I need Shamed. to hide it in yeah. a box anymore. Yeah. And, um, also just, like, learning more, you know, that thinking that what an honor to be an actor. And I feel like the whole training itself is so, like, empowering. Not only yeah. as, like, uh, like, aspiring actor, but, like, you know, as a neurodivergent person. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Like, I definitely felt that. And um, I had an episode early on, like, a few months ago, I recorded an episode with Maeve, um, who was also an alum. You know Maeve, right? Yeah, actually, I think I listened to this. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because she talked about, like, she was talking about... I think about... I did. What, they, have, they only did one episode of it? I did one episode with Maeve, but I've done two... I've actually done three now with Faina because we just recorded another one recently. Yeah, actually, I just talked to her on the phone, and she was telling me that you're cool. But, yeah, okay, then if you've only filmed one with Maeve, then I have this and that. Okay, cool. Uh, this is, I think, my very, very episode i listened of your podcast oh nice yeah that was like i think that's probably one of my favorites to this day because like we both related so much to like how the the training opened us up as neurodistinct people like not just actors because jim would always talk about like um discovering your your authentic self as an actor but then it's like it it does really carry over. And I think him remember, I remember him kind of hinting at this too, but it was, 
I didn't know until I did it. But then it was like it carries over to um, accepting yourself and unmasking as a person too. Like, because then it was also like moment to moment, the whole concept of like being truthful and working from the gut instead of the head was also really mind blowing to me because that's like basically saying it's okay to unmask. It's like, yeah. I don't have to say what comes in my head. I don't have to do this whole, because that's what the a lot of masking really is. It's like you go through this whole processing um, in your head, like all these formulas in your head, yeah. and then you say something, and Jim was saying, feel it and say it. Um, and so that was just so... I think that did yeah. help me. Yeah. I think that's huge, especially I feel like, you know, when you're like masking, like you want to speak right and like the biggest one of the big yeah. things is like don't be polite. Don't be polite. He would always say that. Yeah, don't be <laughs> polite. Mm. You're too polite, George. Don't be polite. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote that in my notes too, actually, when I was reflecting on the training and having ADHD I think it's like actually that's so hard because of the freedom of yeah. the technique and like like also like you know one of our very first lessons is don't compare your instrument to another person's instrument mm-hmm. and so like embracing that like oh, okay this is how I make my choices this is like like what works for me you know especially even like the one teacher was like your talent lies in your choices you know I think I feel like that really encouraged me like okay like I'm allowed to do things my way do things what works for me and I feel like that helped me so much because I feel like so many of the lessons was like like even especially session four right when we're learning about impediments yeah um it's like oh learning what works for you, like, learning how it's best for you to, like, learn an accent or learn, like, a physical impediment mm-hmm. and just taking notes and even, like, for marination, like, what what marination, like, works for you and use that. You know, yeah. I, like I don't really, like, because I remember when Jim first taught on marination, he would describe things visually when he was out and I don't really that didn't really work for me. Yeah. I couldn't picture things visually like what I what I learned that worked for me more is when I like hear things like words. And yeah. like, I think in my head in words or I like identify certain words and like I have a feeling from it. Yeah. And so and that I feel like that in itself like made me feel so like just embrace myself and empower myself to be like, okay, like, it's okay that I do things in my way and this works for me and, like, building on top of that and, like, being like, okay, like, this is how my instrument, like, this is how I learn. This is, like, what's working for me. Definitely. And, and, like, then, like, you know, when you're doing the work and, like, letting it go and, like, being free, like, that's just, like, the best feeling. I feel like that's the thing. Like, I wrote that, like, I will, like, really enjoy like, the freedom of the technique, and then, like, my struggles with it would be more, like, the timing and, like, yeah. time estimation part. But in terms of, like, 
being present and in the moment and freeing up into light, I feel like I was able to like do that much easier. Yeah, I think it was like it was very interesting for me too. Like moment to moment work. Once I figured it out, once I like cracked the code of like what we're doing, it was really freeing. Cause then I was like, oh, okay, moment to moment, unmasked. But it did take a while to get there, because like um, the processing and everything. Like I think I mentioned with you earlier, um, before we started recording, that um, it, I would because I would you know because of that trauma response of like always thinking of I have to mask, I would uh-huh. always like someone would say something or do something and I I literally like had to process it not only was I trying to think of like oh okay what is the so-called appropriate thing to say but like there was also a delay with processing it and then um once I I once I think it was probably like a few weeks into moment to moment work because I I had several rounds of doing class and in practice, like, working that instrument. Um, And now I understand, like, why he emphasized practicing so much, and and he would say that it'll change with time, and it builds on it. Because then I did, like, once I cracked it, I was like, oh, okay, I got this, like, moment to moment. And then it's like, I remember I just had, it was especially the later sessions, like, fifth session. Oh, my God, by the time I got to fifth session, sixth session, I would do beautiful work sometimes. I would just be like, yeah, just moment to moment, like connected and yeah. Yeah, I think honestly, like, I mean, I feel like for me, as a person with ADHD, I feel like it was such an exciting, it was like the thing was so exciting, the teaching was so exciting. I think because I, I think I, like always in in some degree like struggled reading people mm-hmm. like and understanding yeah. what people are saying yeah and what they mean because sometimes they don't and say what they mean which exactly yeah. exactly and I actually like, I didn't realize because until maybe when I was like a senior in high school I remember we were ta- I was taking an advanced theater class and my teacher, we were talking about subtext, and the biggest teacher was like, oh, what people are saying isn't actually what they're saying. And I was like, what? Yeah, and what? Like, so these some examples, like, oh, the scene is effectively arguing about, like, a cheesecake or something. They're not really arguing about a cheesecake. Yeah. What they're really arguing about is their relationship or, like, exactly. the tension between, like, their in-law. It's... And I was like, I'd be reading it, I was like, where did they get that? Where yeah. did they get that? And and then I remember I would like go home with my friends and we'd be watching like movie and I'm like, so what? So what's the real? What's what are they actually saying? Like, what's the subtext? And they would be telling it to me like it was so easy. And I was like, I was like, what? And and then like in college, I had a friend like describe to me that like oh like people like you can read you know, like read their tone. Mm-hmm. Like the way that they say things yeah. to like to analyze like what they actually mean, and I was like so like confused. I was like, that sounds like so hard. 
like why can't people just say what they mean i know that mm-hmm. is my big one of my major rifts with society to this day is yeah, like it, why can't people be direct why can't people say what they mean and like you can still do it because like there's nice ways to do it like even if it's an uncomfortable topic or whatever but it's like it drives me crazy because because then it's like i don't know because then someone's upset and i i know they're upset but i don't know why and i'm just like driving <laughs> it's, it's i'm going crazy like why is this person upset why are they upset and they want me to know. They're expecting me to know. And then it's just yeah. this never-ending snowball. Because it's like, yeah. I'm not going to know. Um, yeah. yeah. And, like, the, and the other side of that is, like, I remember even on all, like, you know, in high school and stuff, like, or even, like, in college, like, you know, when people ask me a question, and, like, I'll respond, and then they don't think I mean what I say. And that was like my biggest like pet peeve. Oh my god! Like, I, I'm like, I mean, what I say. Yeah, and that's like, it's just crazy because that's what gets called disordered is like being direct, and and saying what right. we what we mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so when I was going through the training, and I remember like session one and Jim is like teaching on reading behavior we you have to or like the very first thing you have to call out those behavior and he was doing it so easily to people and i was like oh my god like how is he doing that and yeah it took me a while to put words to people's behavior and i think because i didn't really like do that naturally and actually like you know before the training it took me a second to like put words to people's behaviors and you have to like call it out for mm-hmm. a small technique. Yeah. And and I then and that's when I was like, wow, like I'm not really reading people. <laughs> like, um because I just I'm not I don't know, I think part of it is part of the ADHD yeah. I think I'm just so it's processing. Oh yeah process and I think I'm like focus on other things because I remember mm-hmm. when I was medicated it was like my social like interactions with people were so much more seamless like I immediately had something to say like I was understanding what they were saying immediately like I could I could I could like notice like their facial expression better and pick mm-hmm. up their tone more and like like I could pick up what people are lying to me, yeah. and, like saying something that they don't mean, and I was like, when I was meditating, I was like, wow, like I'm missing so much when I'm like just right, like I'm like, and like, and I was like, oh, like no, I'm like missing social cues or like you know certain things where it's like I just only have so much that I can, yeah. it's also like for me i'll have this happen where i mean it's partly because i'm like i'll be so hyperactive and ruminating like because my brain is going so fast so i'll be thinking of all these different things but i'll also like get distracted easily by something like there's a certain sound or a certain light or something and it'll just catch my attention and it's like even just for a few seconds and then I'll complete, and then I'll feel bad later because then I'll like completely lose all 
I'll lose track of where I was in that conversation. And then I try to go back to that conversation and then I, I've just completely lost like the, what the train of thought of, of where yeah. this person was going. Yeah, um, I totally relate. I mean, like we've had it happen sometimes like in our talks now, like we're like honestly, yeah no it's 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 happened to me a lot like on on my podcasts and stuff and now i just you know i'm usually more under like i i give myself more of a break like i feel like in the first few episodes i was very nervous about it and i did have that kind of self-consciousness and that guilt um, like even the episodes that I was doing on my own, um, when I would like stall or something, you know, and I was, I would explain mm-hmm. to people like that I have sensory processing differences and I'm like, I might stall or I might say, um, and I was like very self-conscious and I feel like it's one thing to like explain it, but I feel like I would catch myself apologizing for it a lot. Um, yeah. and then I was like, well, Maybe I don't need to, like, um, I shouldn't, like, apologize so much. Because then I was also, like, well, I guess if I'm trying to get people to accept neurodiversity and neurodivergent traits, I should accept my own. Um, So I was, like, you know, I'll still get kind of, like, every once in a while, just be, like, oh, darn it. Because, like, I really wanted to continue on that thought. Um, but then I'm, sometimes I'm just like, okay, it's, it's, it's gone and it'll come back and (laughs) I can just regather myself. Um, yeah, no, I totally relate to that. Like, I, I, I notice that when I'm talking to people and I catch myself talking a lot, like, I, I can't help but, like, apologize. Like, it's a thing where I, I always, like. I, I'm like, I'm sorry if I'm, like, talking too much. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was, like, a lot. Like, I don't know. I get, I get, I feel, like, just embarrassed and guilty. And, like, I don't know. I just, like, never really feel like I'm making that entire conversation about like, me or I'm just, like, talking at a person. But, but, like, you make such a great point that, like, I would sue embrace neurodiversity. Like, oh, like, you have to embrace those traits yeah. yourself. Like, yeah, like, Which is hard. It's not like, always easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, that's been really helpful for me. Like, I'll remind myself. I'll catch myself sometimes, and I'll be like, no, it's it's just how I am. It's, I don't. But it comes a little bit from, like, the rejection-sensitive dysphoria and... And, you know, the reason why it's so hard to, to to regulate is because it comes from all that trauma from being led to, from being told or being led to believe a lot that we were wrong yeah. for it. But, because, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, in my notes, yeah, in my notes, like, I wrote that, like, I felt the most difficult part of, like, my diagnosis journey you know, just, like, this journey of learning more about myself, I didn't realize, like, oh, it's just, like, feeling deeply misunderstood, and, and I think it's just so, like, lonely, like, isolating, um, and I feel like that's why, like, like, it really helps to, like, 
talk to more more divergent folk. For sure. Um, that's why I've been trying to be more intentional about you know taking in like you know stuff like your podcast, like neurodivergent, just content. Yeah. Um, to just like remind myself, like, okay, like, is who I am. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, when I, because sometimes I, I forget that I have it. And I, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm like out in the world and yeah. something happens, I'm like, I just beat myself up for it. And then I realize, like, oh, like, this is uh, like misunderstood and it's just like connecting with people who are also neurodivergent just it's so validating to be like okay like we're not doing these things on purpose you know we're not intentionally trying to like hurt people out here or like come off as rude or like I don't know like it's like that's we're not like yeah we're not we're just trying to understand you guys like neurotypicals please just understand we just want to understand you guys we don't hate you guys yeah and i feel like that's the sad thing though i think like that i've learned is like i feel like i try so hard to be empathetic and understanding of another person because that's what I want for myself, and I feel like that's a very common ADHD trait. Like, I feel like ADHD people are so compassionate mm-hmm. because that's they like so understanding of their own, like, oh, when you know they're like late or like they're missing an assignment, it's like they understand that when life happens or things yeah. happen. Yeah, and um, and I think I understand that, like, oh, like realizing, like, oh not everyone's going is going to be as understanding and empathetic as I am. And um and that's just Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's that's what's so hard and that's what's like, you know, one of my um other the other one of the other things that, that bums me out that, you know, one of the other things I'm trying to change the narrative around with this podcast is like to get you know the the two-way communication or is like they call it the double empathy theory with autism like getting not just expecting autistics and ADHDers to understand neurotypicals which we have been trying our whole lives um but also neurotypicals making neurotypicals understand better understand and empathize with autistics and ADHDers. Um, yeah. yeah, that's where, like, that's the big shift that I think it is happening more. Like, there has definitely been improvement in the last few years, but, like, definitely that's still, you know, something that we need to keep advocating for. And, and it makes such a difference because, like, when we even when we experience that in our lives, like, you know, connecting with other neurodistinct people, um, but even with, and even other neurotypicals that are, like, open to un- understand, or not other, but neurotypicals that are open to and understanding 
and learning about neurodiversity and how to be good neurotypical friends um like being understood it's just so gratifying yeah yeah that's something that my partner has like noticed about me like ever since like we've like started dating um sorry can you hear me i can hear you it broke a little bit now it's back yeah it's just um sorry one second um my airpods my airpods like ran out of battery so i just took them off oh okay Um, but, like, that's something my partner noticed about me. He's noticed that, like, oh, it's so important for me to, like, feel understood. Mm-hmm. And and I realized, like, oh, yeah, I think it's, you know, stemmed in, like, my ADHD and, like, you know, RSD. Yeah. For sure. I would say. Um, I mean, but, yeah, I think something I did want to add, like, don't let me see if I, like, remember it, but it was something about how you mentioned, like, empathy the oh double the double empathy, empathy theory about yeah about uh, like you know neurotypicals also um making an effort like to, making an effort yeah. to understand um neurodistinct folks i think um i think that's like part of the reason why like and edu- like i feel like education like stuff like your podcast is so important because i feel like there's still so much stigma yes like stereotypes typical yes. you know stories about what an autistic person looks like mm-hmm. or what an adhd person looks like movies and so and, yeah. i feel like you know even when i like open up to my parents in college when i said that i was like diagnosed with adhd it was like an immediate like no you don't have that like that's like and then they'll bring up an example from like a like you know someone like a boy that like i grew up with that was like you know, the hyper-stereotypical hyperactive kid, they're like, no, ADHD's for, like, you know, so-and-so, and then, you know, or just, like, thinking, like, oh, you, like, you don't have ADHD because, like, you did good in school, or, like, it's just, like, not being taken seriously. And it's, you know, it's it has a lot to do with the stigma, yeah, because it's, like, like a, I was saying earlier, like, there's so many people that think that the only kind of ADHD is when you can't, is like when you can't get good grades or, and and usually like they don't pay attention they don't even think of girls they only think of boys and they think that the only kind of autism is like the stereotypical non-speaking young white child uh young white boy um and i don't know i feel like that's why a lot of uh and because like a lot of people think of ADHD just as executive dysfunction but not all the other stuff like hyper focus and hyper empathy and uh hyperactivity you know I mean yeah. there's just so much and then autism too it's like people think of it only I literally think that there are people that think of it only as one trait and they they don't realize that the spectrum is really a wheel instead mm-hmm. of a scale and and they talk of it a lot of times as if it were a scale of like one trait which is like mm-hmm. a, a, a proxy of speech or they think it's just impaired neuromotor function or that it's just about sensory stuff but it's like all of those things plus all of these positive things like hyper focused literal thinking 
direct communication, like all of that on a pizza graph. And it wasn't until like I saw what really cracked it for me was like when I saw um, a pizza graph of like all the traits and then like these different intensities colored in. Um, Uh And then I was like, that's it. That's what it is. But it's like, yeah. And um, it's like, there's people that I'm still hesitant about telling my, I'm still hesitant about talking about it because I know like, if I don't have a lot of time to really explain it to them and if they're not going to be open to like learning about it outside of what they've been told. And it's not necessarily that they're that that people are bad or anything for thinking in these ways. It's just because it's the ways that we've been ingrained to think about it and like the (laughs) stereotype. And that's why it's like so important for like more neurodistinct actors like us to get out there and do projects, including projects like especially projects that are like um, where there's a neurodistinct character like to cat because like so many times the neurodistinct characters get played by um, a neurotypical actor and mm-hmm. there's usually the director is usually neurotypical the writers are neurotypical so and they're not even consulting with neurodivergent people and it's so sad like they don't even think of consulting with neurodivergent people because they automatically assume that we wouldn't be able to provide insight or that you know it's just like it leads people like people that are watching like it leads them they 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 see neurotypicals playing neurodivergence over and over and it leads to them thinking that neurodivergent people don't become actors and it's like well We have two actors right here, two neurodistinct actors, and there's so many neurodistinct actors out there. And it's just like, and then, because I, I don't know, like, um, I saw this show, uh, you might have heard of it, it's called Heartbreak High on Netflix. And it's actually, uh, there is uh, an autistic character, um, Quinny, and she's played by Chloe Hayden, which is an autistic activist and actress, uh, Australian. Um, It's an Australian show, so she's Australian. And uh, it's just like that, when I watched that show, I was just like comparing that to like other neurotypical created autism shows that I had watched, even certain shows like Atypical that I wrote a review on that like, there were a lot of things that I liked about that show and like I feel like they did good with the research but it's like you can tell that it was written from a neurotypically biased angle and when I watched Heartbreak High it was such a different experience the representation was just like so accurate like because they portrayed stuff like sensory overload like there was this one scene that they did just an amazing job like um, the girl Quinny was on a date with her girlfriend at like this really loud restaurant and they did an amazing job of like simulating what sensory overload feels like for her and then there's this scene where she has to go to the bathroom and then she comes back and then her girlfriend confronts her because she says oh you're not interested because this and that and then 
you know, there's this scene where she kind of explains, like, it's because I'm autistic, and it's because, and then there's, like, the other girl says, like, oh, no, but you, you don't do this, or you don't do that, and then, um, you know, she kind of has to, like, eventually, like, the girl realizes, like, oh, and then, like, the last line is, like, oh, I guess I should learn more about that or something, but it's, like, they're using, they're, like, using the show to, like, not only do, like, legitimate representation, but also kind of educate on these stigmas and stereotypes, and, um, like, I think it just started, because of, and I later found out that, um, the writers had uh, several meetings with Chloe Hayden um, throughout the whole process where they were, where they would literally consult with her about like, oh, does this, and she would, they would give her the freedom to say, oh, like this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Uh, this isn't really autism. This isn't what we do. This is more like it. And, uh, and then no wonder, like I watch it and I, it's just like the represent. It's just so good and like the things. I don't know. I won't spoil it, but um, it's like it, it's such a night and day difference. Like when it's a an autistic cast, because there was another show that I watched recently too. Um, it's on Hulu. Every it's called Everything's Gonna Be Okay, um, mm -hmm. and it was written by. Uh, Josh Thomas, who is autistic and ADHD, um, and in and then there's also another, uh, uh, and he stars in it as well. And there's another actress um, who's also an autistic actress, Matilda, and I can't remember her last name now, but um, she's also in it, and like her character is autistic. His character, that was really cool because his character is, like, undiagnosed autistic the whole time, like, most of the show. And wow. throughout the show, you can tell, like, wait, this guy has a lot of autistic traits, too. But, like, the autistic character is the his sister. Um, and then in the final episode, he finds out that he's also autistic. Um... What show is this one? It's called Everything's Gonna Be Okay. Okay. It's on Hulu. Um, yeah, and the other one is Heartbreak High on Netflix. Um, and so those shows, like, both of those shows I happened to watch, like, just within the last year. Um, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, it's... Because I was just comparing it to, like, these other neurotypical shows and, like, or neurotypical created shows, and, like, I would get excited about these other shows sometimes, because it's like, oh, like, there, there's some, there's some stuff that I relate to, like, oh, this is an interesting representation, but, oh my god, like, when, when it involved, when the project involves, like, neurodivergent actors or writers, definitely night and day, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, like, when you're talking about like neurotypical actors playing neuro, you know, distinct characters, I feel like it wouldn't be as nuanced of a you know performance. Mm -hmm. I feel like it would be more like a stereotypical, a stereotypical exactly understanding mm -hmm. of it. Yeah.
that's what leads to all these stereotypes. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, in TV and stuff, like, and I feel like even if it were a neurotypical actor, but they were at least consulting with neurotyp with neurodivergent people, it would still be better than yeah yeah. Um, but you know, hopefully, with more neurodistinct actors like like us, you know, um, they'll will 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 continue changing this narrative. Hopefully. Um, and, uh, yeah, I actually have, uh, a script, you know, that I think I mentioned it to you because I, I yeah. was hoping also to have you be a part of it and, you know, I have a lot of potentially quite a few neurodistinct actors and, and, you know, being, I'm also incorporating neurodiversity into it a little bit. Um, cause, um, cause then it's like also a way of of advocating a little bit like through this project and having neurodivergent people in 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 there and especially if they're playing someone neurodivergent and it's just the yeah and being able to like yeah being able to do that is great that's so awesome i'm like really excited i feel like i'm really at this point where like i just want to like make art with mm -hmm. other people you know other yeah. creatives um yeah i've like haven't really been auditioning as much or just there's not much there's not that like lot. really like catching my eye i think mm -hmm. it's because i've already like did student films and some other you know short films and i, I just i don't like i feel like i got that out of my system mm -hmm. where i just yeah. that's not really what's engaging me mm -hmm. Um, so, so I like, oh, I feel like I'm more interested in like making content with people. And so that's so why I like, oh, like that's super exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me too. I feel like I'm kind of, cause like I did some, you know, I've done auditioning too recently and it's like, it's such, I mean, it's still like, it's cool the experience of doing it, but then it's also like you know it's like from the beginning i know that it's such a small chance it's such a large group of people for doing the same audition so it's like such a small chance that i'll get it and then it's like and it's the stuff I, and it's like i don't get to be very selective of what comes my way of it's like oh like I got like a mcdonald's commercial or something recently that was like super silly like Oh god, I was I had to do like this silly little dance and it's like it's also it's like not it is like a lot of times it's not what I it's not the kind of role that I would really want anyways. Um yeah. and uh so yeah, like being able to write my own stuff like even small little passion projects um yeah. it just feels good, you know. Um Yeah. 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 yeah, I'm just saying, like, I'm definitely, like, super appreciative when I get an audition, because it's, like, yeah, I get so many applicants, mm -hmm. right? But also, it's, like, I feel like it is also still important to have, like, the projects that, like, fuel the more artistic side of us. Yeah, exactly, yeah, for sure. Um, 
Yeah, so I think I have like one final question that you might have. Uh, I know we've been going for an hour and a half already. <laughs> that's how it goes a lot. It's just good. Um, I have another question that you might have answered already in a, in some ways, but um, what ways uh, have you found to use? Like, I think especially after knowing, uh, finding out that you're neurodistinct, what ways have you found to use it to your advantage? Oh, man. I had, like, an entire notes thing. Um, I, like, don't remember why I wrote this. But I do remember that question. That was, like, really, that was a very good question. Um, okay. So, yeah, I feel like, um, uh, I think something I, like, learned was, like, I feel like after getting to know, like, the my brain is still think, I, it's like, oh, my ADHD, but I'm actually like a very deep and thorough thinker. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm a very deep feeler as well, like very empathetic. And because I feel like, you know, I feel like my, I remember I, was, I did a guy once and he told me that like mine works like 400 miles per hour. And I was like, does it? And I realized I was like, oh yeah, I feel like when I am hyper focused, it's like, yeah, I'm like thinking really fast. Yeah. And because I can, you know, think fast and, like, hyper-focus, I feel like I can really, like, get to the root of things and other things, understand things. Like, just, like, be very articulate of, like, okay, this is why mm-hmm. yeah, why this thing is like this. Breaking things down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like my ADHD has also helped me be, like, just really intuitive yeah. and, like, recognize patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like, I think be- because of like, you know, age people can kind of be all over the place and think of multiple things at yeah. one time. I think because of that, I feel like I make really big like leaps and connections between different like subjects of things. Um, and I feel like I think also just makes me feel like a really fast learner. Like I realize like I learn things really fast. Um, you know, like I, like going from engineering, like not having to like study that much, like even like in school, I and I didn't really see myself as like a quick study, you know, until like my therapist told me. But that's not the besides point. But it's like when I'm like putting myself in like more situations that are outside of my comfort zone, mm. like when I'm like in um you know the miser training, it was like a completely different set. You know, I was in a very STEM field and a lot of like. Like, the folks in, like, my major were so, I don't know, just, like, more cold and, like, I don't know, like, that's a very stereotypical, like, engineering, like, student. But it's, like, you know, it's just, there's not as, uh, I'm just, like, not as fun. Whereas, like, oh, like, I started meeting people, like, in the industry and stuff. It's, like, oh, there's so many different, like, personalities out there. And so when I went into the miser training, I was, like, oh, this is such a different class setting for me. And then, like, learning fast from that. And then even when I, like, I worked at Tesla for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, um, I didn't stay because it was very intense. But it was... um, you know, it was a field of engineering that wasn't necessarily my major, mm-hmm. but I had to learn really fast for it. And I think I realized, I think because of my ADHD and like being stimulated by challenge, 
makes me just like more motivated and like learn things faster and like recognize where I need to what I don't understand and like you know asking the right questions to understand I realized like was something that really helped me and um yeah I feel like like that's like one of my strengths I realized good thing ADHD yeah nice (laughs) I can I can certainly relate to that as well like hyperactivity like creativity like um quickness uh to learn like particularly if it's something that I'm really interested in like yeah that kind of just rapid interest and like breaking things down and and learning and um also a little bit like being able to kind of think ahead at like certain situations and conversations like if I need to have a conversation about something with my mom like I know I've kind of like throughout time I've picked on a, a, I picked up on her style of communicating and her personality so it's like I kind of know like what talking to her is like and how it usually goes and so then I can kind of plan that in my head and and with my dad the same kind of thing and but then it's like with my sister you know my sister is not autistic and and so she'll be like oh but but why don't you just um why don't you just talk to mom about this or why don't you just talk to dad about this or why don't you just say this or and and it's sometimes I don't think she gets it but it's like I'll be like yeah I already thought of that I thought I've already like <laughs> computed all of these different scenarios of this conversation with mom of this conversation with dad and how it would go and I've determined in my head that this isn't the best way to commu- to effectively communicate this to them so I'm going to try this other way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like um even though like with my ADHD, you know, I can be like all over the place, but I feel like because I'm like be able to like articulate things more and I feel like I'm more in tune with like my feelings. I feel like that has helped me be such a better communicator. Um and that's like I feel like that's part of a byproduct of RSD in a sense mm-hmm. because it's like we want to be I want yeah. to be we, we, yes me too I would send like <laughs> oh my god so when my hit, when my class like I would need them to help me for an exercise um like histories uh, uh-huh. I oh my god I would send like these massive texts in the and it was just cause like instructions and everything and what I want to advance and it was like I felt bad sometimes because sometimes people are just very like quick about like what they want and mm-hmm. and everything and I would always send and because like I would read and I would even try to shorten it sometimes I would be like oh my god this is too long but it's like I want to be understood I want yeah. everyone to know what I want out of this history and this and this and that um and and yeah and it's just like it all makes sense now it's like with the rsd because i didn't even really come across i didn't even come across the concept of rsd until i really started like within the last year like when i started 
digging into the whole online social media um, neurodivergent community, I started reading more. I think I started seeing the term and then I didn't really know what it meant. And then I was like, wait a second, RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria. And then I was like reading a little more about it and people would start posting about it. And I was like, oh my God, I, I do that. And then like one of the things was like, sending a message in a group and then like particularly one of those huge messages and then like no one has responded in two or three minutes and i'm like did i you know i'm super anxious already and it's only (laughs) been three minutes (laughs) yeah yeah um and yeah totally really i feel like i started learning more about like rsd and emotional dysregulation when i was going to therapy my therapist was um, she's one of her specials was, was ADHD, and she actually also herself she also had ADHD. Oh. Has ADHD, mm-hmm. and so I I remember just like learning more that like oh like I there is you know I struggle with like regulating emotion yeah. and that mm-hmm. makes me more sensitive. Yeah, I remember like I would I started like dating around that time and. I don't know, like, it was really hard. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just, like, certain things. Um, uh, so, yeah, like, there's so much that I feel like that goes into, like, ADHD. And, like, yeah, just... there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. And it's, I hope that people can keep learning more and more about it, especially neurotypicals, because... It's just so much more than the stereotypes that we're told. It's really Mm -hmm. so much more. And it's so nuanced. And it's like every person is different. And it's like one of the best like responses that I've read, like, which I'll probably use moving forward. Like if people were to come to me nowadays and say, oh, but you're nothing like my autistic cousin. I could say you're nothing like my neurotypical cousin. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like, like I think that's like lack of education and awareness of you know the you know the neurodiversity and just just even how ADHD shows up differently in every single person it's like i feel like if there was more awareness that i, I would have been diagnosed sooner most likely you know? yeah mm-hmm. and it's like being more awareness to it it just helps other people yeah. who are also diagnosed. exactly for sure um well i think that's all those are all the questions on my end um uh yeah if uh feel free to add anything if 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 you wanted to say anything as well um otherwise yeah it's been a a pleasure having you uh been a really fun episode uh and yeah like thanks again for coming on no thank you for inviting me honestly i had so much fun i was so excited me too i'm really excited yeah, I just felt like it was like so healing to just like talk about all these things because I because honestly like I I don't talk about it mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about yeah. it enough, and I was supposed to like to ask this in depth in depth 
And so I just thank you for creating this space for me to like share more about my experience. And I hope it helps someone out there. Yeah, I for sure. I think it will for sure. Um, and thank you. I mean, it's already helped me and I'm, I'm sure it will help many others as well. Um, so yeah, thank, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, and I'll see you next time.